you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. And you may or may not know the story, but God told Israel that he was going to take them into the promised land. That he was going to restore their lives, restore their nations, their families. And in that moment, as they began to struggle with their faith and began to struggle in their relationship with God, God has this conversation with Moses. And God says to Moses, you know what, Moses, take the people and go into the promised land. Go and take everything that I promised you. Go and take everything that I'm going to give you. And Moses turns around to God and he makes this statement. He says, God, unless you go with us, I don't want any of it. I don't want any of what that has to offer unless your presence is with us on the journey. And you know what the crazy thing is? Sometimes in life we can get offered so many good things. We can come and see so many things take place. But yet unless God's presence leads us and guides us, we can come and have the most amazing worship. We can come and have the most amazing drum kit. We can come and have the most amazing preaching. We can come and everything can look good. But unless God's presence is there, it will fade away. And there can be no doubt that today we have all of that, but we have God's presence. Because in God's presence, transformation takes place. In God's presence, healing takes place. In God's presence, restoration happens. In God's presence, marriages are restored. Children are saved. In God's presence, we see everything that we could ever desire. I think Moses knew that life gets messy in the good times and the bad. And the only thing that stays consistent is God's faithful presence in our lives. And today, as we get into God's word, I'm really excited to share this today. And I'm going to share today about God's amazing grace. His grace is amazing. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as you turn there, I just want to take this opportunity right now to thank God for for the life that he has given me. To thank God for the life that he has shared with me. And today I believe that something great is going to continue to take place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 to 15, And also, just to mention, if you don't know me, my name is James. I'm one of the, uh, well, I come to this church first and foremost, which helps if if you're going to preach, I guess. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and I take a certain amount of responsibility for the education in this church. Um, And there's a lot of amazing things that are going to be taking place with that. But I want to share today from God's Word. If you like God's Word, 
And we're going to get into God's word today. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 to 15, God's amazing grace says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your partnership with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of a surpassing grace of God that he has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray, church. Father God, we have been gathered here today, worshipping you, honouring you. And Lord, we continue with that worship by sitting and hearing your word. Lord, our hearts and our minds, as much as we can, are directed to you today. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Through your grace, bring healing. Through your grace, bring strength. Through your grace, bring callings. Father God, through your grace, I pray today that we would encounter you. Lord, we're not here to have our emotions tickled. We're not here for goosebumps. We're not here for a bit more knowledge. We're here because we want to be obedient to you. So Lord, speak to our lives today and let your grace impact us, transform us and release us to be everything you've called us to be. We give you all the honour, the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise Lord, you can take your seats today. Amen. And just a reminder also, our pastor, Pastor Paul, will be back with us next week. He's preaching over in America. Amen. I believe he's preaching at the Third Wave Church in LA. Um, so please keep him in your prayers with that. I think at the moment it's a seven-hour time difference, so please keep him in your prayers because he will be ministering later this afternoon. But today we're going to talk about amazing grace. Now grace is something that I believe is not just abstract. It's not something that we just talk about when things are difficult. It's not something that just we receive at the beginning of our journey. I believe today that when we look at the grace of God, it is something that is able to impact our lives at whatever point of the journey we are at. Paul describes God's grace as indescribable. A little bit ironic. He describes God's grace as indescribable. He speaks about God's grace as unspeakable. And he understands God's grace as ununderstandable, that's not even a word, non-understandable, whatever the word would be. You know where I'm going with it. But yet, I don't believe that Paul's saying that you can't understand God's grace. I don't believe that Paul's saying that you can't speak about God's grace. And I certainly don't believe that Paul's saying that you can't experience God's grace. I believe what Paul is saying is that no matter how much you experience of God's grace, there's always more to lay a hold of. 
No matter how much you study about God's grace, there's always something new to learn. God's grace, he says, is beyond what we can box in, beyond what we can even summarize or define. God's grace is something that moves in and through our lives from the first day of our journey to God to the very last day. God's grace is indescribable. But my prayer today is the same prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. When he speaks about the love of God, he says this, Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, that he may, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. He says, I pray that you have, may have the power to comprehend or to understand, to lay hold of with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer was that the church in Ephesus would come to the understanding that God's love is so great so amazing, so beautiful, but it will always be sufficient for their lives. And you know what I love about this passage is that he speaks to the whole church. He doesn't just say leaders of Ephesus. He doesn't just say new believers. He doesn't just say young people. He writes to the whole church and says, my prayer is that you lay a hold of God's love. And it's my prayer for you and for I today that when we speak about God's grace, it's not just something that we know about. It's not just something we speak about. But my prayer today for you and for I is when we leave this church today that we will have encountered, experienced, and be empowered by God's grace in your life and my life. It's not just for some of us. It's not just for most of us. It's for each and every one of us. This idea of God's amazing grace has quite a famous history over the last couple of hundred years. From when it was first penned by John Newton as a slave trader involved in that abominable time. And he wrote a, 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 the amazing grace song and prayer as a sign of repentance after God had spared him from a storm. And it would go on to lead, history will tell us, to his conversion and his renouncement of that life. But it's not only been that. Throughout the civil rights movement in the early 20th century, the Amazing Grace prayer and song was at the forefront of so many of the rallies and protests of the Martin Luther King time to say that things need to change. We need to see justice and righteousness. The scales need to be rebalanced. The prayer and song Amazing Grace stood as a declaration of hope in the midst of dark times. This prayer and song Amazing Grace as was even prayed at President Obama's inauguration, and even most recently was spoken at the eulogies of those that were killed at the Charlestown, South Carolina massacre. Amazing grace has been used to express so many emotions, prayers and songs of celebration, repentance, grief and lament, so many different things. And I don't know what you may come in here with today, what emotion you bring to church today, what standing you bring to church today, but what I know is that God's grace is sufficient. 
What I know is God's grace can empower you. What I know is God's grace can keep you. And today we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says about grace. We don't have time to look at what the whole Bible says about grace. I, I don't think there's anyone that's good enough to do that. But today we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul says about grace. What he understands about God's grace. You see, we've used that phrase in songs that have been written. Many times we use it in conversations we have. If you're going through a difficult time, you might say to someone, I'm going to come through by the grace of God. Maybe you're trying to get somewhere in your life and move forward something, and you'll say, by the grace of God, I will get there. We use it in conversations, we use it in songs. But yet what amazes me is what the Bible says about grace. The Apostle Peter in chapter 2 Peter 3.18 instructs us to grow in grace. To grow in grace. That means God's grace is active. It's present. He tells us to grow in grace. The author of Hebrews tells us that we are able to boldly approach the throne of grace. So when the author of Hebrews thinks about God and his throne room, that heavenly realm where God is orchestrating and moving and working in his creation, he pictures God's throne as grace. And he says you can access that throne room. He says, come boldly. He doesn't say, come timidly. He doesn't say, come wondering and guessing and doubting and, oh God, if, if, if you please. He says, come boldly to his throne, knowing that when you come boldly, there's grace that is available. And even the one that I love as well is Revelation 22, 21. The very last verse of the Bible tells us the grace of Jesus be with you. But the scripture finishes reminding its hearers and readers that the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. And if that's not enough, just to throw one last one in, the Bible even tells us that Jesus grew in grace. So if those first three didn't, didn't inspire you, to know that Jesus grew in grace should give you some motivation to say, you know what, I want to grow in this grace too. So there's something about how the Bible shows us grace that tells us that when we know and embrace and live with God's grace, something changes about the way we pray. Something changes about the way we praise. Something changes about the way we worship. When you encounter the reality of God's grace, something changes about the way you walk and talk. When you encounter God's grace, something changes about the way you respond to setbacks. When you encounter God's grace, something changes about about the way you handle grief and sorrow. When you encounter God's grace today, something changes about the way you see challenges and seasons of your life. When you encounter God's grace, something changes about the way you handle difficulties. When you encounter God's grace, something changes about the way you see people. When you encounter God's grace, something changes about the way you walk and talk and live. Because for Paul, God's grace wasn't something you just talk about when you get saved. God's grace was present. God's grace was practical. And God's grace was powerful. I believe today God wants to show us his grace in a whole new way. whole new way. And I want to touch on three things today. We're going to talk about for a few moments. This is not exhaustive. This is not a full list but when we look at the Apostle Paul's life, I believe there's three things that he tells us about God's grace. The first one is that God's grace saves us. The second one 
is that God's grace shapes us. And the third one is that God's grace calls us. God's grace saves us, God's grace shapes us, and God's grace calls us. You see, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, grace was more than just a second chance, although it did involve that. For the Apostle Paul, God's grace was more than just a new opportunity, although it did involve that. And for the Apostle Paul, grace was more than just a fresh start, although it did involve that. God's grace was what saved him. God's grace was what kept him. God's grace was what shaped him. And God's grace was what called him. God's grace was present from the moment of his birth to the moment he poured out his life for the final time. God's grace was keeping him and leading him and guiding him. Today, Rich Irish Manchester, I want to let you know that God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace enables you. And whether you've come here today on top of the mountain, my friend, we need to remember it's God's grace that took us to the top of the mountain. And I want to let you know, say, if you've come at the foot of the mountain, not knowing how to get back up there, it's God's grace that took you there the first time. He'll take you there again. God's grace is what shapes us and saves us. And today, for some of us, God's grace might just be that which calls us. God's grace is active. If I could give you a definition of grace today, and I want to be very clear, this is my definition. This is a definition according to James. And not the James we have to listen to in the Bible, the James you have to listen to this morning. The definition of grace, I see it like this. It's God's provision to you that enables you to be everything God has called you to be and to do everything God has called you to do. It is his provision to you that enables you to be everything God has called you to be and to do everything God has called you to do. God's grace doesn't just call you to something. God's grace will be with you as you live out that journey. So let's get cracking. The first one, the grace that saves Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, the Apostle Paul says this when looking at his life. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism, where he says, I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when the one who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human. Let me read verse 15 and 16 again. Or that first part of 16. But when the one who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. Paul makes this statement when thinking about his life, thinking about his previous way of living, he makes this statement that before I was even born, God, you set me apart. This echoes the words of God to the prophet Jeremiah. 
In Jeremiah chapter 1, when Jeremiah was wrestling with the call of God, didn't believe that he could do what God had called him to do because of his age, because of the times he was living in. God said to Jeremiah, before you were even born, I had set you apart. When you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. It's a reminder for you and I today that no matter what obstacles we come against, no matter what seasons we face, no matter what difficulties we go through, no matter what challenges might surprise you that God has set you apart from birth even before you were born which means the seasons of this world are temporary but God's grace is eternal God's grace goes beyond and through every season that you and I may face you see but Paul had to face the same reality that every person before him around him and after him just like you and I had to face that Paul, although separated by God before birth, was born into a world that was separated from God. And that's the challenge, that you can have been separated by God, but yet still be separated from God because of the world we live in. And Paul was born into a world that was not in relationship with God in the way that God had first intended it. Paul was born into a time and an age where the world, as we've seen, is at enmity with God, against God's truth, against God's ways. All we have to do is go back to Genesis 3 and see that although God, God created this world good, God created it in the way that he wanted it to be, we see very quickly and very early on that Adam and Eve and really humanity chose to worship other gods before the creator God, chose to trust in themselves than before they would trust in God. Chose to exchange, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He gives this great explanation of why the world has become how it is. And he says in Romans chapter 1 that people have chosen to make an exchange. To exchange the eternal for the temporary. To exchange the creator for the creation. To exchange the invisible for the visible. And every time that exchange was made, the world became more and more broken, more and more messed up. And we see from Genesis 3 to 11 that the world that God created good, good began to experience violence and death and pride and greed. And before you know it, the dominion and power that God had given to humanity to rule with justice and righteousness was now being ruled with violence and power and self-righteousness. And as each generation lived out that same thing that Adam and Eve lived out, we find that we're soon enough born into a world that is separated from its creator. Separated from the one who can make it good again. And the truth is, is that there's not one person that's born into a world that's any different than that. And Paul had to wrestle with that. And you know what the amazing thing about Paul is? He was actually very successful, but still separated. You can be as successful as you want in this life, but still be separated from God. You can get promotions, you can get pay rises, you can get great jobs, you can get all of these things, and those things are not bad. Believe me, I've prayed for some of them. Those things are not bad. But you can have it all and still be separated from the one whom your, your image was made in. When we look at the world we live in today, we see probably more so than ever in our generation. It's, it's scary. It's unsure. 
But yet when we look at the world we live in, the issue is not violence. The issue is not greed. The primary issue is none of these things. The primary issue is that it is a world that is separated from the one who is good. And that's why we have people seeking to do what's right in their own eyes. When we look at the wars that are taking place, the poverty that surrounds us, even when we look at the wars, the, the primary issue is that we are separated from the one who brings peace and brings joy. The one who teaches us what is good and what is evil. Or everything else, the violence, the poverty, the fear, the anger, the power is a result of separation from God. And we see God over and over again extend his grace to his creation. Sometimes I've heard it said, and I disagree with this. You can disagree with me, it's okay. But sometimes I've heard it said, and I disagree, that, that God turns his back on us when we make mistakes. When I read scripture, I don't see a God who turns his back on his creation. I see a God who keeps coming to save his creation. When Adam and Eve made the mistake in that garden, what do we find? Did God turn his back and say, you're on your own? He came into that place and began to call out their name. We see God extend his grace to Adam, to Eve, to Cain. He even extends his grace. He extends his grace to Noah, to Abraham. He extends his grace to Joshua. He extends his grace to Joseph. He extends his grace to Israel. And he even extends his grace to you and I today. That we could be everything that God has called us to be and do everything God has called us to do. But yet that statement, to be set apart before you were born, before I was born, brings about certain questions, I believe. It can bring about certain questions that if God has been in control from the beginning, if God had called me and set me apart before I was born, then Lord, why did certain things happen? Why did I go through certain things? Why is the world how it is? Why did I lose this person? Why did I go through that person? Why did it have to be so difficult? Has anyone had any of those questions? Sometimes, Lord, if you're in control, why does it work out the way it works out sometimes? If you've got any of those questions today, I believe you're in good company. Because even Gideon had that question. In Judges chapter 6, when God calls Gideon, and we always read this passage and we read about it when God says to him, Almighty man of valor, rise up. And it's always this inspirational message like, rise up, O man of God, rise up, O woman of God. But there's something about Gideon's encounter with God that gives me encouragement. Let's read it together, verse 11 to 16. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon answered him, But sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord had cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. 
And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. And he responded, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, every one of them. You know, as much as this is a story about the rising up of Gideon, what I love is that Gideon is real with God. Gideon says to God, God, if you are calling us and you are with us, then God, where were you when this happened? God, give me an answer about why my people have suffered. God, give me an answer as to why life is like this sometimes. God, give me an answer as to why things get difficult. Why can't it be simpler? Why can't I be like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? Lord, give me an answer about why my child can't behave like their child. Lord, give me an answer as to why it seems like I go through difficulties every time Gideon said, God, give me an answer. And what strikes me is that God didn't give Gideon an answer. And I ask, why? Why didn't God answer Gideon? See, God found Gideon hurting. God found Gideon hiding. And God found Gideon questioning. Yet he still says to Gideon, go in the power that you already have. Even when he was hurting, hiding, and questioning, there was still something in Gideon's life that God could use. You know what strikes me? Why I believe God didn't give Gideon an answer? Was it because God didn't care? No. Was it because God didn't know? No. Was it because God didn't have time? No. I believe that God didn't give Gideon the answers to everything. Not because he didn't have them. Not because they didn't matter. But because God knew for Gideon his healing, his wholeness, and his purpose was not found in him getting answers from man, but him getting his movements towards God. And when you move towards God, that's where healing is. When you move towards God, that's where wholeness is. When you move towards God, that's where the power is. When you move towards God, that's where the, 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 the wholeness comes, the peace, the joy. Gideon was looking for peace. Gideon was looking for joy. Gideon was looking for understanding. And I believe God's response to him was that getting answers about your situation is not going to give you peace. Getting answers about your circumstance is not going to give you joy. What's going to give you joy? What's going to give you peace? What's going to give you power? What's going to give you purpose? What's going to give you direction is not in getting things from people but it's in your movement towards God. I'm not saying that we won't get answers. I'm not saying God doesn't give answers. But there's a reality that you can get answers from people and still be sat on your couch doing nothing. God, why did they do this to me? Okay, I've got my answer. What are you going to do now? God, why did they hurt me? And we're still sat on the couch when we find out why. The healing is not in getting answers from people. The healing is not in getting your needs met from people. Your healing is not getting all the understanding about everything that happens in your life. The healing and the wholeness and the purpose and the direction is not in your movement towards people. It's in your movement towards the one who can heal and make whole. 
I've waited for answers from people, got them and been angry at them when I asked them. I asked the question, what's the point? What's the point? I'm not saying God doesn't care about what you've faced. I'm not saying God doesn't care about what you've been through. I'm not saying God doesn't care about what your history is. What I'm saying is that you can get all the knowledge in the world and be even angrier than before you even found out. I'm telling you today, it's in your movement towards God, in your worship and your praise. It's when you step out like Gideon in his insecure self, in his angry self, in his hurting self. He did, God saw something in his life that said, even though you are hurting and hiding, and even though you are going through stuff, and even though not everything makes sense, Gideon, stand up in the power that you have. Because just maybe when you step towards God, one of two things will happen. You'll either get the answers you're looking for, or you won't care about the answers anymore. Some of the things we can often question, our health, our calling, our family, our acceptance, and we can question all of these things. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says again, talking about his conversion and his experience. I love what he says. In chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, Paul wasn't shy about the life that he had lived. And he says this, I'm grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. When the Apostle Paul encountered Jesus, there was an exchange that took place. And the violence that had filled Paul was changed to grace. That whatever had filled Paul's life to the point of his encounter with Jesus... There was an exchange that took place where he changed his violence and his pride and his power for the grace and love and truth of Jesus. When you come to Jesus, when you come to him, there is an exchange that takes place. And it's not an exchange that just takes place once at salvation. There may be some of us in here today that need to make an exchange with Jesus. We need to lay something at the altar and walk away and let him fill our lives with peace and joy and love. But he can't or he won't do that until you lay down that thing which you carry. How is grace practical? John 1.17 says this, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is practical because grace is the person of Jesus Christ. That's the first one. It is the person of Jesus who saves. It's the person of Jesus who restores our image. It's the person of Jesus who transforms. But you know what I love about this passage? I'm going to be a bit, a bit more, might step on some toes. So tuck in if you don't like it. It says that, the word says that Jesus came with grace and truth. You know, too many Christians just want to preach truth but don't want to live grace. And what I mean by that is this, is it's so easy to tell people what they're doing wrong, but you're not willing to live with them as they journey through that messiness. 
There's a lot of preachers, a lot of people, a lot of Christians that want to stand on street corners, I'm not knocking it, but want to do all this stuff and preach about heaven and hell and God and this, but they don't want to live the life with the people that they're preaching truth to. It's not enough to tell someone the truth if you're not willing for your grace to be shown to their lives. Can I be honest? Preaching truth is easy. Living with grace isn't. And if you're going to tell someone the truth about their life, then you better be willing to pray with them when they call you. You better be willing to visit them when they need you. You better be willing to journey with them when the truth that's setting them free is messy. Because lo and behold, I want to let you know today, when you get set free, it's messy. It's not simple. It's not clean all the time, unless you're way better than me. But even getting set free is messed up sometimes. Even getting set free is messy because you've got a journey. You've got to live it out. And I want to let you know today that what we need to be as Christians is not people that just preach truth, but people that live grace. And I would even go as far as to say, forgive me ahead of time. But if you ain't willing to journey with people with grace then probably don't even speak to them about truth. Because truth without grace condemns. Truth with grace transforms. Jesus journeyed, for all these miracles we saw Jesus do, right, I love Jesus' miracles, praying for this person. Always. But you know, for every time he prayed for someone, he sat at someone's table. For me, some of the biggest, you know what messed people up more than anything with Jesus? Check this out. What messed people up when it came to Jesus was not even the miracles he did so much, but the people he associated with. Jesus, why are you talking to that person? Jesus, why are you eating with this person? It was his grace. It was his grace. It is Jesus that saves. The second one is the grace that shapes. I'll speed it up a bit, I promise. The grace that shapes. Paul was convinced that the same grace that saves you is the same grace that keeps you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, As we work together with him, we entreat you not just not to accept the grace of God in vain. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, as we work together with him, we entreat you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For the Apostle Paul, God's grace kept him and God's grace changed him. Not only did it save him, but it kept him and it changed him. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. We usually use that as an excuse, right? I am what I am. You just got to take me for what I am. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, I am where I am today by the grace of God, but there's further for me to go. But I usually hear that is, listen, you know what you got into. I am what I am. I'm not saying my wife says that to me, by the way. I'm just saying that's what you usually hear. All right, church, right? I am what I am, just deal with it. No, you deal with it. He says, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, speaking about the apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You know, his picture is amazing, that Paul says he worked and labored but yet at the same time, it was grace, God's, great, God's grace in him that caused him to do that. You know, God's grace is not an excuse not to work. God's grace is not an excuse not to believe. God's grace is not an excuse to sit back, but God's grace is what empowers you and I to take a hold of whatever it is that God has called us to. 
And when I say today that God's grace is practical, there's two things I want to mention to us quickly about God's grace. There will be many more that you can add. But today I want to talk about two extensions of God's grace which will keep you and which will shape you in the journey that you live as God's children. Those two acts of grace from God to you are his word and his church. Philippians 2.16, the Apostle Paul says this, As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. We just heard Paul say that it was God's grace that ensured that his running and his race was not in vain. Now Paul says that it was me clinging and holding to your word that ensured that my race was not in vain. The first thing I want to say to you today is that God's word is his grace to you. His scriptures are God's grace to you. The Bible is God's grace to you. Now, sometimes, don't get me wrong, it can be hard to handle that side of God's grace. We're reading a book that was written two, three, four thousand years ago, a different culture, different language, different time, but yet the Bible says that his word is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword, which means that the same power it had when Paul penned it and the gospel writers penned it is the same power is available to you and I today when we don't reject his grace of a word but we handle it study it and live it out we're doing on Monday nights we're doing like a teacher training group for those that are, feel called to teach God's word and it's an amazing group we've been studying together it's been fantastic I've loved it and we're going to run it again next year for those of you that feel you're called to teach God's word we're going to run it again but there's a story that we talked about and it's a story of an author, Howard Hendricks. He writes, he's written this book, and he talks about a time that he went to Yellowstone National Park. And he went to this national park, and when, he walk, when you walk in, he said, you go in, and there's a sign that says, do not feed the bears. You know human nature, right? Do not feed the bears. And you get given a, a, a little ticket or sheet of paper as well to ensure that you don't miss the sign. And he goes in, and he says, as you go in, and you see the sign, and you're given the paper, he said, there's people there feeding the bears. And he says, he said to the park ranger, why? Why do they do that when they've got a sign that tells you not to, a sheet of paper in your hand that tells you not to? Now, he could have just said it's human nature, right? We're just a little bit rebellious sometimes. But the park ranger said to him this. He said, you don't see the half of it. He says, because people keep coming in and feeding them constantly. He said, what you don't see is in the winter is we have to remove all the bodies of the bears. And the reason we have to remove them is because the bears have lost the skill passion and the knowledge of how to feed themselves they become dependent on other people feeding them and the only time they'd get fed is when someone came in from the outside to feed them and I wonder sometimes if a church has become like that in this day and age this is a reality in this day and age when YouTube preachers are, are, are the thing I'm not saying they're bad I'm just saying they're the thing and when you can, get, one time I saw a sort of saying to, saying to the team on a Monday night, you, you had a, an advert for the one minute Bible. And it was, if you're too busy to study, we can solve that problem for you. The one minute Bible, read it on the move. We'll tell you what it means. We'll tell oh, and all this stuff. And I was like, hold on a sec. I'm not sure that's what, that's what the Bible's for. And the reality is, is that God's grace to us through his word, have we lost the skill of how to read it? because we depend on someone else to feed us. 
I'm not saying it's easy to study it. I know it's not. That's why we have community. That's why we do it together. That's why it's not just us huddled in a dark room with a lamp and it's like, Lord Jesus, please speak to me. Like we study together, we pray together, we ask questions together, we wrestle together, we learn together, we doubt together, we do all of these things together. But what we can't do is lose the skill and the passion and the knowledge of how to pick up his word and say, God, teach me, shape me, form me, show me who you are through your word. That's why we have our Bible study starting this Wednesday, working through books of the Bible verse by verse. You want to know about it, contact me. That's why we have our life groups to study together, our worship practice. I'm sure they open their Bible. I know they do. I know them. I know Pastor Anthony. I know the team. Listen, that's why. But we can't lose that passion. And, and we can't reject God's grace because we don't pick up his word. Let's study together. Let's grow together. The second thing is this. Is that, and I have to speed up here. The second thing is this. is Not only is God's word an extension of God's grace, but so is his church. So are you and I. Now usually, if I'm honest, we think about people and grace, what we're usually saying is God give me grace with the people. But maybe, just maybe, the people are God's grace to you. I'll let that sink in for a moment. Maybe the people are God's grace to you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1. He writes to the church in Rome and he says, For I am longing to see you, that I may share with you some spiritual gift, which is grace, to strengthen you. But then he says this. That makes sense, right? The apostle comes, imparts gift, imparts grace. But listen to what he says. Or rather, so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. Paul understood that the grace of God he experienced was not only through the word of God, but it was through the people of God. And I wonder sometimes if God's trying to grace us with people and we turn away because we don't like the package it comes in. And lastly, I want to mention this on this point. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit says this. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another and envying each other. You know what it is about that passage? You know I've heard that passage a thousand times, the fruit of the Spirit, and you know, every time I read it, every time I heard it, it was always about the person, the individual, that you need to grow in this fruit, you need to grow in self-control, you need to grow in patience. And then I realized that actually, it's not actually about you as an individual. It's about you living with people. The fruit of the Spirit are what builds community. The fruit of the Spirit is what builds marriages. The fruit of the Spirit is what raises children. The fruit of the Spirit is what builds his church. Listen to what the last verse is. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another and envying each other. The fruit of the Spirit is about how we live together, how we love each other, how we grace each other. But you know, so often we've handled the fruit of the Spirit as how to be a super Christian. Right? You work through the fruit. 
Well, do I have love? Check. Do I have joy? Check. Do I have peace? Check. Do I have patience? Not yet. Do I have kindness? Check. Do I have generosity? Check. Am I faithful? I think so, the last time I checked. Am I gentle? I don't know. Wife, am I gentle? Husband, am I gentle? And we go through it and it's like, you know what we treat it as? We treat the fruit of the Spirit like spiritual bingo. I've got them all, I'm faithful. I've got them all, I win. And actually, it's got nothing to do with you as a person and everything to do with you as a community. How do these fruit of, how does this fruit of the Spirit impact your marriage, your children, your church, your ministry? For Paul, it was more than just the individual. It was the family. It was the church. And then lastly, I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to begin to wrap up. For the Apostle Paul, the grace was not just that which saves, not just that which shapes and keeps, but the grace was that which calls, commissions, and sends. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 3.2. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given to me for you. Let me just read that one more time. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given to me for you. You know, Paul was graced by God, not solely for himself, but he was graced by God for the people he was called to reach. God's grace is what empowers you, equips you to be everything that God has called you to be. Now you may say today, well that was the Apostle Paul, that's not really us. But his word says in 1 Peter 4.10, Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever grace each of you has received. You know, if you don't know it yet, you will that each and every one of us in here has been graced by God with a special gift, a calling, a purpose. And sometimes we can wrestle with that. It seems like everyone else's calling is obvious. How many of you have ever felt like that? And mine's a little bit obscure. I always remember I tell people when I first came into church, I came in 1999, little baby-faced 16-year-old, weighed about eight stone. So add a one in front of it and you'll be closer than the eight stone now for me. And so I remember coming in 16 years old and I walked into church and I see people and you had people that were worshipping. I was like, well, I can't sing. And then I see people dancing. I was like, I definitely can't dance. And I'd see people acting. I was like, oh, I can't act either. And so I'd see people doing all these things. I was like, God, and this is an honest thing to God. God, I don't feel like I have anything to give. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't act. I can't do any of that. Every time we acted, I always tell people, every time we acted in the drama, I'd get killed off in the first scene. Because I couldn't act, so I was just a numbers, I'd be, I'd be knocked off in the first scene. And I said, God, honest question, God, I don't feel like I've got anything to give. I remember God, one of the few times he's spoken to me so clearly. That's not his fault, that's my fault. <laughs> my ears. Um, I remember him saying to me, James, just as they are working their gift of worship and all these things, James, work your gift of servanthood. Just serve. Find something to do and do it. In the first few years, I didn't have any idea what I was good at. I stacked chairs. I set up sound. I ushered. I did security. I did all of these things. I just said, where can I help? Where do you need me? What difference can I make? And I'll tell you this. As I served and I just gave myself, God began over the course of time to begin to say, James, this is what I've called you to. 
This is what I've graced you with. And, not about, and let me just say this, it's not that as soon as I heard, I thought, oh, I don't need to serve anymore. I know now, let me just lay that down. But I believe that my servanthood was the breeding ground for God's calling upon my life. And this is not licensed, by the way, for all of us that have callings and giftings, for us to begin to force our ministry on other people. Listen to what Paul says, and this is what I love. Because some people see Paul as a lone ranger. That's not what he was. Listen to what he says in Galatians 2.9 about his calling. And when James and Cephas and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. For Paul, the grace saved him. For Paul, the grace kept him and shaped him. And for Paul, the grace called him his gifting, his calling, and his mission. I don't know what you need the grace of God for today. Maybe you don't have that relationship with Jesus. His grace is extended to you today to come to him and make that exchange. Maybe you found yourself in a season and a time where you don't know how you're going to keep going and be sustained. I want to tell you today, like the Apostle Paul said about God's grace, that his power is made perfect in my weakness. God's grace will keep you and shape you. Or maybe today, God wants to call you and speak to you about the gift and the grace that he's placed in your life. I don't know what you need God's grace for today, but what I can tell you is this, is that God's grace is extended here today for you to come to Jesus, for you to be shaped and formed and kept in his presence, and for you to even receive again may be reminded of the calling that he's placed upon your life. Can you stand with me today? And I believe that right now is a moment in time that God wants to speak to his church. And not only that, but God wants to extend his grace to us. I want us to lift our hands in this place. I want us to begin just to speak to him. This is not between me and you. This is not between your neighbor and you. This is between you and God. And we're going to respond to one of three things today. But we're going to take a moment in worship first. But as we do, I want to say, one of the three things that I'm going to invite you to respond to today is that if you haven't experienced that grace of Jesus in your life, if you haven't experienced his salvation, his love, and his saving power, then he is here today to give that to you. Or maybe you've come here today and you're in a moment and a time and a season where things have become difficult, things have become weary, things have become tired. His grace will not only keep you, but his grace will transform you. And lastly, Maybe today you just simply want to say to God, God, I'm available. Use me. Use me, Lord, in whatever way you desire. Release your grace over my life and commission me. Call me. Show me what it is that you have called me to. As a worship team leaders, I want us to lift our hands in this place and take this moment to worship him. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city and we are here for you.
Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website vomanchester.org.uk for more information.